Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Jason Torchinsky will join us to discuss the robotic car. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. show. Well, what is it that Google, Tesla, and Mercedes all have in common? That's right, they're all racing to bring us the next robotic car. Joining us today to discuss this issue is Mr. Jason Torchinsky. Mr. Torchinsky is the senior editor of Jalopnik, which is a website devoted to news and opinions about all things automotive. He's a writer and artist known for his articles, artwork, talks, and numerous other things, and has raced cars, wrecked cars, and driven possibly one of the most dangerous cars ever made with the king of cars on the Emmy-winning Jay Leno's Garage. He has written the new book, Robot Take the Wheel, The Road to Autonomous Cars and the Lost Art of Driving. And Mr. Torchinsky, thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thanks for having me. When will we see these robotic cars, and why did you decide to write this book? It's going to be a little longer than a lot of people think for fully autonomous vehicles in wide circulation. It's I know there's a lot of a lot of interest and hype in it right now, but the truth is uh, we've got a little ways to go still. I think we're a good decade out before these things are going to be really finished at best. Uh, my publisher didn't want to run a book about cars before 1880, which was what I originally wanted to write about. And so I kind of went the opposite extreme and looked around at what people were really talking about. And I realized there's a lot of confusion about autonomous cars, uh, a lot of people talking about it. And this felt weren't really being addressed uh, in the general media. What more conceptual and maybe even philosophical and cultural issues that um, are part of what it means when we go to self-driving cars, and I thought they were worth addressing. What do you think, then, is the biggest misconception out there right now about robotic cars? Well, that you can buy one, um, because you can't. You know, I, there was a study late last year in October where they found, it was a global study, and they found about 70% of people believed you could go out and buy an autonomous car today. And that's just not true. I mean, Tesla and GM with their Super Cruise and Volvo and Nissan all have semi-autonomous systems like Tesla's autopilot, but those are dramatically and forcefully very, very different than fully autonomous vehicles. They are not, and I think it's very confusing for a lot of people, and a lot of people believe you can have a fully autonomous Tesla, which is why you see videos of people driving around asleep uh, at the, well, you know, they're sleeping while their Tesla is doing, you know, most of the driving for them, but the truth is for any level two autonomous vehicle, which is all you can get on the market today, you have to be ready to take over at a moment's notice. And that is not what an autonomous vehicle is. It's doing maybe like 80% of the work on the highway. And I personally think these are kind of a terrible idea because they're just counter to how humans actually work. You actually devote a chapter in the book called Semi-Autonomy is Stupid. Yes, I do, because semi-autonomy is stupid. And here's okay, so if you think about it, just the way humans are designed, the way our brains actually work, if something is doing like 80% of the work for you and it mostly works, 
it's not in our nature to remain vigilant and ready to go when something is almost doing everything you need. It's just not who we are. We are going to, our minds are going to wander. We're going to get lazy and lax and start to trust the thing more. And we're going to read or play on our phone or sleep or whatever. It's just, you know, it's not a condemnation of humans. It's just an acknowledgement of what we are as animals and people. And, and I think the, the autonomous systems we have now exist in this ill-defined gray space between autonomy and semi-autonomy that's a very difficult arena to have work safely because it requires a level of discipline for people that I don't believe is reasonable to ask people to do. If you're on a long highway trip, like the environment where one of these level two systems like Tesla's autopilot or GM super cruise works well, then it's going to feel very autonomous uh, as it drives along the highway. They can change lanes. They can even pass. It's going to feel like it's doing everything until that moment when it encounters something it can't. And then it's going to fail rapidly and immediately. And it's going to demand that you take over and people are doing things. You know, there's a company that was selling, these little devices called the autopilot buddy that would hang on the steering wheel that would fool the Tesla into thinking you had your hands on the wheel. Some people just shoving an orange in the wheel, which also did the same thing. GM super cruise does something different where they have a camera pointed at your eyes to see if you're actually watching the road. And I think that's as much to cover them in a court situation. If it turns out there's an accident as it is to make sure you're watching the road. It's just not something we work, you know, as a, as human behavior works well with. It should either be completely autonomous, and if it has, or not even completely, it can even be a system that at least fails over in an elegant way and doesn't just say, hey, you've got to take over now. Because I think the idea that we can rely on people to be ready and take over at a moment's notice is uh, foolish. One of those all or none propositions. You really just have to have a system where everything is automated or not. Yeah, I think so. When you start doing these halfway measures, especially with something as time critical as operating a car going potentially 60, 70, 80 miles an hour, there's you, a handoff of control is never a good idea. Even if you had two people with identical sets of driving controls at a, in a car and you wanted to hand off control at a moment's notice from one to the other, even that would be problematic because you'd have to guarantee both people were paying attention and ready to go. And what's the point of a semi-autonomous system if your hands are on the wheel and you're watching the road and you're ready to take over at any moment? It's almost worse than just drive. You've been driving. You have all the muscle memory for it. It's almost easier to just drive. Like, I could train my 8-year-old how to drive my car on the highway, I think, no problem. I could get him to do it. But it, the whole time, I'm going to be a nervous wreck with my hands hovering over the wheel waiting for him to get distracted or something to go wrong. It's the same thing. I, I don't even understand the appeal of it. To get to a fully automated system, you sort of have to swap out the entire fleet for this automated other, wouldn't you? Well, I think they can coexist. And I think they will have to coexist with manually driven vehicles. I think there will be a long period of time where it's a mix of manually driven vehicles, human driven vehicles, and autonomous vehicles. And I, you know, I, I think it'll actually always be that way. There will always be some contingent of cars where we want a human driving or a human they choose to drive for a lot of reasons, many of which I go over in the book as well. But I'd be willing, as someone who likely is going to want to drive my own cars for a long time, I'd be willing to compromise and do things like have a transponder system on my car that sent out information like, 
my speed and steering wheel angle and uh, GPS coordinates, things like that. So the autonomous car is in the immediate vicinity around me could prepare accordingly, knowing that there's a human idiot at the wheel nearby them. Far are we to an actual autonomous vehicles and what should we expect from them? I mean, we're close. I mean, there's, but that last step is extremely difficult. We've made incredible progress in the past, you know, decade, like huge progress. Like, I think we're capable of getting up to maybe reliable level three and four autonomy now, which means level four is basically fully autonomous in a, in a controlled area. And I've been in vehicles that are approaching level four, where it's in a controlled area. And this one, it was like a retirement community and they were low speed vehicles. And in those areas, they did pretty damn well. They could do most of what you would need. But it was fairly set routes, not a lot of surprises, not a lot of chaos. When we tried taking these cars out into the real world, they got completely stymied at the first roundabout we got to because they didn't know how to be just slightly aggressive enough to get out there in the traffic. And that's something that we're going to see over and over again. The things that are going to be the real sticking points for full autonomy are not exactly technical in a way. They're, they have to do with chaos and human behavior. Because I don't think we realize how much of our human enculturation and communication is part of how we drive. So if you've ever driven in a big city like New York or London, you know at like uh, intersections, there's uh, something you do, especially in New York, where people are crossing in front of you, even if you have a green light. So you kind of edge your car out into the scrum of people in a way that could run over people, but you know you're not going to do it. The people know you're not up there to murder them. And there's some eye contact and hand signals and things like that that let people know this person's moving and there's judgments that are made as they decide, do I walk in front of this person or is he making enough forward progress that I should wait? We do this all the time, every single day. And it all is because we're all humans and we all fundamentally understand each other on some level. How do you program a computer to drive into a crowd of people aggressively to a degree, but not really mean it. And don't really run over anybody, but drive like you might run over everybody. So they get the idea that you are, you want to go through that crowd. It's a very subtle thing. And I don't exactly know if we're going to ever be able to really program something like that into a computer. How do you think it's going to change the culture of cars, the culture of transportation, culture of cities? Dramatically. I mean, they're no longer going to really be cars. Car is a prosthetic, fundamentally. It's a prosthetic. Our relationship with cars is extremely irrational and personal, and I love it. That's why I love cars. Um, we pick them as extensions of who we think we are and how we want to be seen. And part of that has to do with the fact that we're driving them. Like, a muscle car or a performance car partially telegraphs the idea that the driver is capable of handling that machine, that he or she has the skills necessary to deal with all those eight or 900 horsepower to make the car do what they want. When the car's driving for you, that's kind of a moot point. Will anybody really care about performance cars if you're not actually driving the car? I mean, maybe people still like to go fast, but it's going to mean something different. And the look of cars is going to change. Um, they're going to become more interior focused. An autonomous car, there's no reason for two rows of seats to be sitting facing a front window because you're not driving. You'll want to have, you'll want to engage with the people in the car or a work surface or a play surface or a bed. I mean, 
it's going to become much more of a mobile room, and I think auto design will change to reflect that. They're really going to be their separate category of machine. It's going to be cars as we know them today, I think, will always be the human-driven thing, and then these robotic vehicles are going to become a subset that's, that's fundamentally different. Do you think that will just then create two different classes of commuter, those who prefer the cars and those who prefer these robotic transportation vehicles? I think to a degree, yeah. And I think early on, it's going to be divided in socioeconomic strata because it's not cheap to put all this computer hardware in your car. You're not going to have, you know, the equivalent of like a Mitsubishi Mirage or Nissan Versa entry-level car with full autonomy for quite a while. These things are going to have to get developed and the price is going to have to come down a lot for this kind of thing. So I think the skill of driving may be something that erodes quicker among wealthier people than it does among poorer people. Um, in a big city, it may be a little different where car ownership is less of an issue and they're less likely to own a car and more likely to share it like you would public transport. Uh, but I think in more dispersed and rural areas, uh, I, I do think that, you know, where you might privately own an autonomous or, or a human driven car, um, we're going to see some stratification of who still knows how to drive and who has an autonomous vehicle. I think we're going to look back in the fact that we drove is and be kind of amazed. I think it's going to seem like an incredible skill that we were able to pull off because, frankly, it is. And we know that because it's so hard to, to emulate in machinery. Um, you know, there's, it's, and the culture is going to change significantly, how we deal with cars. And there's going to be a point where we don't necessarily need cars, need to be in cars as well, like, they're going to become the first mass deployment of robots in a human society uh, ever. I mean, we've had robots in factories for decades, but they're pretty sequestered in factories. We have things like Roombas and things like that, but they can't kill you. And the first mass deployment of powerful robots that have the capacity to end a human life uh, will be with the coming of robotic vehicles. And, you know, like I could see a whole subclass of robotic vehicle that is never designed to hold a human. Um, that just is an errand-going robot. Like, if it's midnight and you realize you're out of medicine or your wife needs tampons or whatever, why would you go out and do that? Like, if you could just send a vehicle to the store, you order it online and send it to pick these things up, why would you do errands anymore that you don't care to do if you have a robotic vehicle? Groceries, you'd order online and just send your car to get them, or you could throw your dog in there and send them to the vet. You know, there's, there's not necessarily a reason for you to be in a robotic vehicle anymore at a certain point. How much will ownership of these things even exist? I mean, you could just imagine them being a fleet that roams the city, either picking up passengers or goods and delivering them from one place to the other. I think in high-density areas, that's likely to be the case, but not everywhere. I think a car, robotic or otherwise, is still a very personal thing to a lot of people. In rural areas where the distances are vast enough that that shared ownership and roaming vehicles doesn't make sense, I think you'll still see personal ownership of cars. And even in cities like Los Angeles, where a car is often like your mobile headquarters or a locker, I think you still may see a lot of people who want to have their own personal robotic vehicle. I also think we may see kind of hybrid things like neighborhood-owned vehicles, where it's still possible to keep some of your things in the car because it's shared with a group of like, you know, maybe between four and ten people. Um, so I think shared vehicles will be a thing, but I do not believe we're going to see individual car ownership going away current manufacturers thinking about these broader issues, or are they just focused on the technology? It's hard to tell. Um, most of the ones I talk to seem to be mostly focused on the technology. Um, there's some issues of talking about litigation and things like that. 
but not quite as much as you'd you'd think. Um, and you know, maybe it's just not being publicized as much. And I know there's got to be lawyers already thinking about the implications for liability and insurance. Uh, we do see some governments. Germany has just recently published a um, a whole set of laws, potential laws governing robotic cars and how they should behave. And, you know, I think we're going to have to see a lot more of that happen. Ideally, we'll have some sort of standards that will be international, but, you know, we can't get car companies or countries, rather, to agree on, like, even international taillight standards. So it may be a lot to ask for them to come up with an international behavior standard for robotic vehicles. I think a few things to be aware of is don't be lulled in by the idea of you'll have more time because I think the time we spend driving is valuable time and it's time you can't be asked to work. And I think that's important. I also think that um, we will, we're going to always have a want to roam or or just wander and explore. And you can't really have that with an autonomous car. The first question when you get into an autonomous vehicle is where do you want to go? The idea of just driving around for the hell of it, like that's an important thing. And I don't necessarily think we want to lose that. Um, And I think that's something that we might lose if everything became autonomous. But luckily I don't think that's the case. I think there's always going to be people going to be people who are interested in driving and who want to have, um, the ability to drive themselves for many, many reasons, a lot of which are related to the fact that automobiles have never been entirely rational things and they never really will be. And that's, you know, that's part of why I like them so much. We were just talking with Mr. Jason Turchinsky. He's the author of Robot Take the Wheel, The Road to Autonomous Cars and the Lost Art of Driving. And Mr. Turchinsky, thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.